Ephesians chapter 2. Whenever we have any type of reunion, and I don't mean just Alt's Chapel, I mean we in, in general, speaking of humanity. Whenever we have any type of reunion, don't we find that the conversation of the group inevitably drifts back to the good old days? Somebody says, remember that time? And everybody starts reminiscing and laughing. We are a, a very nostalgic people. We look to the past. We have a lot of affection for the past. So most of us, I think, tend to be nostalgic. But I would also say that nostalgia overwhelms some of us. Once you have enough years behind you, you just naturally begin to pine for the good old days. And I would say that if you don't find any kind of nostalgia in your heart, any longing for what used to be, either you don't have enough years behind you or you're not far enough from home. So I might not have a ton of years behind me, but I'm away from home. And so I do, like I would think just about all of you here, have a good bit of nostalgia in my heart for what used to be. We are standing, each one of us, in a river of time. What's rushed by us is the past. What is rushing toward is the future. And a lot of nostalgic people are always looking back. They don't enjoy the present very much. They don't have a whole lot of things they think to look forward to in the future. They're always looking back. But time is running through our lives like water through our fingers. Standing midstream, mid-river, we can't control the thing. We can't close our fingers on any of it, let alone keep the whole thing still. You cannot stop the rush of time. Now, according to the first few verses of Ephesians chapter 2, which we're going to read in a minute, none of us deserve this river of time, do we? If we're honest with the Word of God and with our own hearts before God, we don't deserve this river of time at all. What we deserve is a lake of fire. Now, that might sound like old-time preaching, but that's what the Word of God says. That's not what God just said back in the early 1900s. That's what God is saying now. What we all deserve is not any kind of river of time, of life, of beauty, of joy, What we deserve is a lake of fire. In the garden, the first man, Adam, and we in him, made a a value judgment, made a a judgment uh, call. When God gave himself to humanity, we decided that we would rather have the devil instead. We concluded that we would be better off without God. And because all men sinned in Adam... We all deserve the just judgment of God. We all deserve, every one of us without exception, we all deserve to find ourselves in eternity under the fury of the wrath of God. That's what we deserve. According to, again, we'll read in a moment, these first few verses of this chapter, you are either dead in your trespasses and sins or you were in that state. But every single human being has had this experience, has had this condition of being dead in trespasses and sins. Demonic in the course that we followed, desiring everything that displeases God, 
and destined for the fury of his wrath. How much have you desired and delighted in sin? I can't even, I can't even begin to, to say. With every fiber of my being, and with every ounce of energy that I have had, I have craved and I have chased after sin. I was born ruined. You were born ruined. I was born ruined. And somehow, I made things, I, I made me even worse. I was born at the bottom of an unfathomably deep and dark grave. And somehow, through my life, by the course of my life, my actions and my words and my thoughts and my desires, I dug down deeper. But God. Are there two words in the English language that sound sweeter than that put together? But God. But merciful God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to that to the bottom of that grave that I had dug, when he laid down his life upon the cross, he was buried under the weight of my sin. I was bankrupt of righteousness, but God was rich in mercy. As much as I loved my sin, God loved to save me, God loved to have me even more. That's our God, but God, God has saved his people all of grace. So Jesus Christ died my death and he defeated my sin. He conquered the grave and he overcame all of my resistance to bring me to himself. And so by grace, God has brought me to himself. He has raised me back up with Christ, seated me with Christ and in Christ in the heavenly realm. All of grace. And I want to ask you, Today, do we, you and I, every single one of you, do we share that story in common? Before and after. All that was wrong and then the but God and all that he has made right. Do you share that story in common with me? Is there any part of that that you would take exception to? Any part of that that would make you protest? I'd like to know what it is. If you want to take a few minutes afterward and talk to me about it, if you protest... Show me somewhere in the scriptures that would give you cause for protest. This is the story of all the human race. Some of you spend so much time in your life looking back downriver to what has rushed by, what used to be the good old days, that you're beginning to get a crick in your neck. Nostalgia overwhelms some of us. Now don't get me wrong. To reminisce and laugh and talk about the good old days is great. We are grateful and we praise the Lord for what was, for what he gave us in the past. We're grateful for the past, but we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So nostalgic soul, turn your head around and look up river. Because God has done all of this raising us up and making us alive in Christ seating us with him in the heavenly realm. He has done this to give us a precious future. We sing now and again, some of us, precious memories. God has given to us the most precious future. 
All right, let's read these verses. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. Again, our concentration will be verse 7. We've already talked about verses 1 to 3. That's the bad news. And verses 4 to 6, the glorious news of what God has done for us in Jesus. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Would you bow your head with me and let us seek the Lord as we get further into his word. Father, I pray that every heart here would be broken over the word of their condition, their dead condition in sin. And I pray, Father, that every heart here would believe in what you have done, that truth that you intervened and by your grace sent your son to the bottom of the grave that we had dug. And there he died our death and overcame our grave so that we might be made alive with him and seated with him in the heavenlies forever. Father, I pray that every heart would believe and so every heart would soar upward in worship to you and you would have the honor and the glory and the praise and the obedience of our lives, the faith and the joy and the hope that you alone are worthy of. I pray, Father, that you would pour out on this place and into every heart that is under this roof, pour out your Holy Spirit that we might truly hear you and see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Again, give to us your spirit according to your grace in Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. One of the things that I love about the writings of Paul is when he lays out one of these promises in a a string of prepositional phrases. Might have to go way back to recall that grammatical terminology for for some of you, but he he lays out these these promises in a string of these phrases that he, he forces you in your mind to absolutely slow down. I mean, you cannot skim this. You cannot just give this a a quick passing glance. You need to follow the trail of these phrases slowly and let them settle into your heart and consider them and mull them over. Follow the trail because it is going to open up for you an absolutely breathtaking view if you will meditate on what God has said. My boys love to be... uh, 
thrown around the living room, swung, slung. I only sling them into the couch, but they love it. And they, they're always coming up to me, you know, as soon as they hit the, the couch and bounce. Daddy, again, again. And they're fighting, my turn, my turn. And it's again and again and again until my arms are really beginning to burn, you know. It's good exercise. But they just love it again and again. And this is how we must be, as my boys are with me, this is how we must be with this promise of God. We must say again. Speak it again. Say it again, Lord. I want to hear it again. I want to have this joy settle into my heart and this hope fill my soul. Say it again. We have to retrace our steps. If this is a trail down, retrace our steps, take the trail again. Or if you want to use a different analogy, Maybe it's like a water slide. Some of you might not be too keen on... That's one of your words, Jim. Where are you? Keen? (laughs) Um, Might not be too keen on taking the water slide, but this is the kind of thing you slide down into this pool and you just want to go back up those stairs and back down that slide again, over and over. This is meditation on the Word of God. This is how we must consider the promises of God again and again. So let's, again, consider this. God has saved us to show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus And he will do so in the coming ages. All right, let's take the steps one by one. He will show to us the immeasurable riches. God has saved us and he has raised us up. He has seated us with Christ to show us the immeasurable riches. We have so much already, don't we, as Christians. For all of you who do believe in Jesus Christ, we have been given So much. We have already been saved from the penalty of sin. So that Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no more condemnation. Now no condemnation. It's gone. We've been saved from the penalty of our sin. We have been saved from the tyrannical dominion of sin. So sin will have no more dominion over us. We've been saved from its great, great power. We have been justified, declared righteous by God in His court. We have been redeemed from that former slavery. And we have been adopted as the children and heirs of God in Christ. We live in a world that is broken and is brutal. But we may live our lives on this earth knowing the Lord who is over all. We have so much already. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, testifying to our spirits of the love of God in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is guiding us home to glory. So we are on this glory road, you and I, but we're not in glory yet. This way that we walk, we walk by faith and not by sight. We're really in the position of Moses. Think back to Exodus 33 and 34 and that great cry he raised up to God. Please show me your glory. We're in the same position. We're with Moses prostrated in the dust, hiding our faces in awe of what we have seen, but knowing that we have only seen the trailing edge of the glory of God. His face shall not yet be seen. 
No man can see my face, the Lord declared, and live. It would obliterate us. So we have so much, but we do not have the fullness. God will show to us the immeasurable riches. If we could sum up what those immeasurable riches are, I would say that it is this. We will see the face of our God. All throughout the scriptures, the greatest of saints, Moses, Ezekiel, Isaiah, the apostle John, when they caught a glimpse, a vision of God, just the trailing edge of glory, it drove them to their knees and put their faces in the ground. They were overwhelmed. No man can see his face and live. But one day our hearts made pure with Christ, we will see his face. The sight of his face. Those are the immeasurable riches. He will show us his immeasurable grace, and what he shows is, I said immeasurable grace, his immeasurable riches, and it is of grace. God's riches are immeasurable because they are in direct proportion to the grace of God. If the riches that we will see one day were in direct proportion to our efforts, our moral righteousness, our good works, we wouldn't see a one of those riches, would we? Not one of us has any purchasing power with God. Our spiritual cupboards, naturally speaking, our spiritual cupboards are bare. We are spiritually destitute of any good works that would commend us to the favor of God, apart from the Holy Spirit regenerating us and leading us into a Christ-like life. Apart from his intervention, we are spiritually destitute. So it must be of grace. It must be free. And so the Lord says, hear the word of the Lord. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price, Isaiah 55. In Revelation, he said, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Do you hunger to know him? Do you hunger to behold the glory of God in Jesus He says, come, it's free, it is all by grace. Give up any kind of self-confidence, self-righteousness. Abandon all self-righteousness, ye who would enter the pasture of life. Abandon it and put all your faith in Christ. It's of grace. Now this is not to say that our position in the kingdom of God is not paid for. It is paid for. Just not by us. Christ has paid it all, as we sang just a little bit ago. Jesus paid it all. We were ransomed from the futile ways that we walked in in the past, the futile ways of tradition, the ways of our own lives. We were ransomed. We were freed, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, First Peter says, but with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus paid it all. So the immeasurable riches that we will know in glory are all of grace. God will show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. In kindness. Some of you 
tremble in your hearts before the living God, not with a healthy fear, but with a cowering fear. You're always on that performance treadmill, trying to follow the rules, a lot of which maybe you have invented. And you cower in a corner from the living God. God will show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. And what he gives to you of these riches, he does not give half-heartedly. God does not know half-heartedly. He does not give begrudgingly. Nobody is up in glory twisting his arm to make him give us anything. He gives all that he has to give in kindness. Some of you need to hear this. God does not regret saving you. And he never will. Do not cower from him. Jesus said, little children, little flock, Do not be afraid. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you what? A little token something? A little, a little of the riches that He has? Do not be afraid, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He gives His immeasurable riches of grace in kindness. He leaps at grace. He revels in the return of the sinner. That's why when Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son, he pictured the nobleman who who represents God the Father running at the sight of the son, the prodigal son returning home. He leaps at grace. And when the prodigal son is giving that rehearsed repentance speech, the father interjects. He cuts him off. He cuts him short. And he says, put the best ring on his finger. Get the robe. Put new sandals on his feet. Kill the fattened calf because we are going to have a celebration because my son who was lost is found. He was dead, but now he is alive. God revels in the return of sinners. He does not regret saving you, not for a moment. He planned it in eternity past, knowing exactly who you would be. And he does not regret saving you. When you came home to God in Jesus, it touched off a celebration in heaven, the likes of which the earth has never seen. And who started it? Who threw the party? God did. God did. All of this happiness and joy and celebration that we have come home comes from the fountain of God's inexpressible joy. He is inexpressibly happy to save the sinner. Let's go further. Another phrase. God will show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness Toward us. Can you honestly, with conviction, substitute your name or that pronoun me for us? God will show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward even me. Can you do that? This must be made your own. You can't get in just because your parents are in. You can't get in just because 
you know, we have lived for, for yay, so many years in a Bible Belt culture. It must be for you. Can you put your name here? Do you know that this is God's heart toward you personally? Do you know that this is your future? I know that many of you feel the far shortness of your heart. And by far far shortness, I mean you feel how far short you fall of the glory of God. And I hope you feel that. Because if you don't, if you think, yeah, I'm pretty good. I've made a lot of progress. Me and God are getting really tight and it's all my doing. If that's in you at all, God forbid. But many of you do feel the far shortness of your heart. But I want you to know and I I want you to take it to heart that God who cannot lie has said, God who cannot lie says that he loves you as he loves his son. That's John 17, and it's from the lips of Jesus himself. That is the most mind-boggling, mind-bending word that I think we could find in the Bible. God loves me. That's hard enough to believe. It's true, and I'll grasp it, but God loves us in Christ. He loves us as he loves his son. He welcomes us and accepts us and keeps us as he welcomes and accepts his son in his presence. And he can no more put us out of his presence once in than he can put out the Lord Jesus Christ. God loves you as he loves his son. He loves you in Christ. His love does not rise as you do spiritually rise. His love does not fall when you fall, when you stumble spiritually. If God's love rose and fall with every rising and falling that you do, his love would be erratic. And his love would not be what he calls it, which is steadfast. Steadfast love. He says again and again in his word, his love does not waver. So can you, again, put yourself in the toward us? Can you say toward me? He will show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. It's toward me. Jared Wilson recently told this story. A counseling professor that he knows visited a village in Cambodia that had once been part of a rebel group that backed, do you know this, remember this name from history? Backed the dictator Paul Pot, P-O-L, next name P-O-T. He, in the 1970s, was responsible for genocide in the country of Cambodia that took the lives of millions. And where these many were killed brutally because they couldn't, always afford bullets. Of course, that would be brutal as well. But they call these places the killing fields. And so this counseling professor went to this village that had once been part of this, that backed Paul Pot. The people in this village, the professor said, never leave the village. Some of them have never been outside because it's too dangerous. While the crimes they committed are long gone, the pain and the anger against them is not gone. So these villagers are cast-offs. They're prisoners in their own land. They're hated far and wide for the sins of their fathers. So this counseling professor said that a Christian church service in the village may have been one of the most vibrant expressions of worship that she had ever ever been a part of. 
said that the villagers had so much joy, so much emotion, so much confession before God, so much exaltation of God and desire for Him. They were excited. They were expectant. They were enthusiastic. They were enthralled. And the professor asked one of the locals, is it always like this? Yes, came the reply. They know that God is the only one that wants them. And so they want Him. God is the only one that wants them. And so they want Him. And how great would that wanting be? And when the counseling professor heard that 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 phrase, that statement, they believe that God is the only one that wants them. She found it to be heartbreaking and thrilling at the same time. Because to be totally known for who you really are and to be totally wanted at the same time is the way to liberation. Listen, God totally knows you. He knows every recess of your heart. He knows everything that you keep hidden. The sins that you would never think of confessing to another person. He knows everything. He knows you totally. And yet He totally wants you. He is all in for your salvation. David said, For my father and my mother have forsaken me but the Lord will take me in. You know, even when you are finally in glory and your heart is made pure before God and you don't take your salvation for granted anymore like we all take our salvation in Jesus for granted, your your gratitude for what God has done for you will never come close to God's joy in having you. He will show to us, let's move on, He will show to us the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Every grace that God gives is in Christ. Every grace, every good is given in Christ. As it says in Ephesians, we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, God has not restrained. He has not held anything back, and all His blessing is to us in Jesus. So when God, let's go revisit something a moment. When God speaks of seeing His face, and those that is the immeasurable riches, seeing the face of God, when He speaks of seeing His face, God is not speaking of us seeing His face directly, unmediated. That's not what He means, and that's not what the church has historically believed. God means that we will, when He says His face, He means we will see His fullness, His brightness, the radiance of His glory in Jesus. That's how we see the glory of God. Read 2 Corinthians 3. That's how we see the glory of God. It's in the face of Christ, and it will be no different when we are in glory. We will not see God directly, because He is spirit. 
He is not in any kind of form or measure that we can relate to. He is the invisible God. But Jesus is the Word of God. He is the Father's self-expression. He discloses God. He narrates God. He is the message of God. He is in Himself the revelation of God. He is the image, the Bible says. He is the image of the invisible God. So all of this grace of these immeasurable riches comes to us in Jesus. That's what God means when it says, he promises in Revelation 22, they will see his face. It means we will behold his glory in the bright radiance of his son. And this is just as Jesus prayed when he said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me from before the foundation of the world. He prayed that we would see the glory of God in his face. It's in Christ. Now, there will be things in glory besides Jesus. Amazing things, amazing sights. There will be marvelous beings and glorious creations Every believer will be there. But in a sense, in one sense, there will be nothing but Christ. There will be many things and people besides him. But why will anything be glorious in heaven? Why will anything give us comfort? All of the beauty, all of the glory of heaven will be glorious and beautiful and comforting and all of the rest because it will reflect the glory that radiates from Christ who is the radiance of the glory of God, who is the brightness of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. Everything will reflect the glory of Christ. And if you love Jesus Christ, then you should revel in that truth. Everything will reflect Christ. Finally, our last phrase, he will show to us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus in the coming ages. John Piper wrote this. God is infinitely energetic, with absolutely unbounded and unending enthusiasm for the fulfillment of his delights. Infinitely energetic. Now this is hard for us to comprehend because we have to sleep every single day just to cope. We go up and down in our enjoyments. We get bored and discouraged one day and we feel hopeful and excited another We are like geysers that gurgle and sputter and pop erratically. But God is like a great Niagara. You look at it and think, surely this can't keep going at this force for year after year after year. It seems like it would have to rest. Or it seems like someplace upstream it would run dry. But no. It just keeps surging and crashing and making honeymooners happy century after century. That's the way God is about doing us good. He never 
grows weary of it. It never gets boring to God. In the coming ages, when you have been in glory for 10,000 ages, let's say, when you've been in glory for 10,000 ages, there will be no less delight in the river of God's delight than when he first took you by the hand and planted your feet midstream. I cannot begin to wrap my mind even close around the concept of eternity. But I appreciate that last verse of amazing grace. When we have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise on him to gaze and to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. So we've talked about the river of time. Psalm 36 speaks of the river of his delights from which we drink. But in 10,000 ages, there will be no less delight for us to drink than when God first planted our feet in that river. In the coming ages. Listen, all that will be, all that will be in the coming ages will be the immeasurable riches of God's grace in kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. That's all that there will be. What I mean is there will not be anything else. Nothing. It will all be the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward you in Christ. That is your future. There are some souls here that get overwhelmed with nostalgia. I'm only 35 years old. But just to be honest for a minute, when I come back home, when I come back from vacation, which is at home, I have a hard time. In fact, this last year I had a harder time getting used to being so far from home than, than ever before. And I get overwhelmed with nostalgia that any, any beauty can potentially just break my heart. And it's, a, it's, it's a weird and not a very, it's not a very pleasant feeling because I long for home But I think that this longing for the past and this longing for what was and this longing for home is a longing for beauty. Even when you when you think of the past and you have all these pleasant associations with the past, if you could go back to the past and revisit and, and get back in that heart, your own heart back then, you know what you would find? You would find a complaining and craving heart, a complaining heart for what is and a craving for what isn't. You would find a discontented heart. We long for home. But I'm telling you, nostalgic souls who are overwhelmed, turn your head back around and look up river. Because what awaits you in Christ is the immeasurable riches of the grace of God in kindness for the coming ages. This outer self is going to wear out and it's going to waste away. 
But let the inner self be renewed every single day in this hope. We are grateful for what was. We are grateful for the past. But let us rejoice always in the hope of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak as only you can speak by the power of your Holy Spirit into into a heart here that may not know you in Jesus. They don't long for you. All of their hopes are not in you. They're not resting all of their faith to be saved in Jesus. Speak into that heart as only you can and open up their mind's eye to your glory in Jesus. Help them to understand, Father, that He is all in all. That He is the only one who can save. He is the only one who can satisfy. Our hearts are always longing, craving, grasping. I pray, Father, that the arms of faith would wrap around Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, I know that you will keep those who are yours forever. Our hands cling to you, but it's really in your arms that we are safe. Thank you for the promise that you are going to bring us home. It's the promise that can never fail. We are getting home to glory. The coming ages await of beholding your face in your son Jesus. All that you have to give us is of grace and kindness. For this, I pray, Father, that every heart would praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.